Hello, and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School Policy Cast. I'm your host, Matt Cadwallader, and today we have with us Jonathan Zittrain, professor of law at Harvard Law School and Harvard Kennedy School, professor of computer science at the Harvard Graduate School of Engineering and Applied Sciences, and a co-founder of Harvard's Berkman Center for Internet and Society. At the moment, he's the vice dean for library and information resources at Harvard Law School. Jonathan, Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. So when we asked you to come on PolicyCast, we also asked you to provide a number that would have some significance to your current endeavors. You gave us 73.21%. Could you give us some uh, background on that? Yes. So my magic number is 73.21%. And as it turns out, tomorrow's research today, this is the percentage of hyperlinks, URLs, links you click on, within all Harvard Law Review articles from 2002 to the present that don't work. And that's rather striking because the Harvard Law Review is the premier uh, law review, legal journal uh, for academics in the United States and possibly the world. It's not alone. This is not uh, an uncommon number. It turns out that people go to great trouble to document their sources, to provide citations for what they are saying in an academic article. And it turns out when they use URLs, these things go dead. They rot within a matter of a year or two. And that poses a fairly big problem for anybody wanting the scholarship that's going to have a shelf life longer than a year or two to go back and revisit the sources on which the scholarship draws. Now, the Harvard Law Review is a student-run publication, and as such, there's some turnover and a number of people are coming in and out. So you can understand that there would be some kind of uh, their website would undergo changes and, and there would be a lot of changeover. Well, is that the reason or is this endemic to the whole? Yeah. Pop- so let me be clear, these aren't links on the Law Review's website that don't work anymore if you're trying to visit the website. These are papers that the Law Review publishes, which themselves contain links, often in the footnotes, to sources for the statements that are being made in the papers. And those links go everywhere. They go to other law reviews. They go to internet websites. They go to Wikipedia pages. And pound for pound, uh, we're looking at over two-thirds of those links that don't work anymore. They might as well be to nothing. And that has nothing to do with the fact that, oddly, like almost all legal uh, scholarship uh, law reviews, it's run by students. This has to do with the fact that links can be evanescent and when they disappear, we don't have any strategy for dealing with the hole they leave behind. Does it generally mean that the information is no longer available or is it just because it the, the link itself is broken? I mean, it, or, or, or is information being taken offline somehow? Well, as you know, colloquially when surfing the web, if you bookmark something and come back later and the bookmark doesn't work, you can generally use a search engine and try to find it all over again. That's good enough for surfing, but it's not good enough for scholarship because often what's at the end of that link is not just another piece of scholarship, but evidence of something. Here's a press release that the White House put out on the canonical White House website. Here's what it says, and therefore X, Y, and Z. There have been instances where within the White House, they've regretted putting out that press release, and they've gone back and either deleted it or worse, they've changed it. And that reflects a much deeper problem than sometimes, you know, CNN.com goes through some house cleaning and all their links break, but if you Google around, you can still find it. So this is a problem we're ready to try to solve. So is there a solution out there? I mean, how, how 
How do you solve it? Yeah, so that's why at the end of your introduction, you added uh, a title that I've got, which is Vice Dean for Library and Information Resources at Harvard Law School. It basically means, at the moment, I'm running the library. And what we're looking to do is to recenter the library as the custodian, the safeguarder, the forever place for humanity's most important knowledge. And what we mean in the digital realm and in the context of this 73.21% is that we're going to create a new mode by which scholars can reference stuff online. Instead of just providing the link, which is going to die within a couple years if it's a typical link, they can go to one of any participating academic library, give the library that link, see a screen of what is there right now and say, yes, this is what I mean to capture. This is what I'm talking about to the reader when I provide this link. The library will then archive that forever and hand back to the author and to the journal editors a permanent link that points to the library that's going to go into the scholarship. And forevermore then, when you read the scholarship, you'll click on a link that will take you to one of the great libraries it can then pass you through to the link, good luck with that, that was the original one, and or it can show you what was there and an archive of that. And then in one fell swoop, we have a strategy for preserving the stuff that otherwise is rotting. Now, I imagine that there are some significant copyright hurdles involved with that, uh, you know, authors having their material stored forever in a, in a place that's accessible to anyone is would that be the case so there are a number of hurdles to this technical ones policy ones and yes copyright ones now some uh pioneering has been done on this front by the internet archive which many listeners may have encountered over the course of things that's web.archive.org it's also known as the internet wayback machine and one fine day about a decade ago a guy named Brewster Kale, who's an amazing fellow and had just come off of a successful startup, Alexa, uh, had some money and said, you know what? Somebody needs to be saving this web. The entire web of 1998, of 2003 is going the rot. And that's weird. So he started setting up robots that crawl the entire web. To the extent possible, he tries to slurp every web page. And when he's done, he does it again because it might have changed in the meantime. It's like once you get done painting the Golden Gate Bridge, you start from the other side and paint it all over again. So he has been doing that. And some perception of that might be under the doctrine, this is the largest copyright infringement ever. It's copying everything it can get its mitts on. And interestingly, Brewster has handled this in the most elegant and practical way. He can make it uh, so that the Internet Archive will not make publicly available that which it slurps if a website has either reached out to him or has set its so-called robots.txt file, a way of signaling robots like the Internet Archives or like Google's or Bing's, that they don't want to be crawled. He will respect that to the extent that he won't offer up to the public pages that the website wants to hide. Now, most overwhelming majority of websites don't care about this and allow themselves to be archived. Those that don't won't be publicly available, but Brewster still has the stuff so that in the coming bad years after the apocalypse, we'll be able even to reconstitute those websites. And that minor copying, not further disseminated, I think fairly counts as a fair use and wouldn't be uh, subject to copyright infringement. And so we'll be, I think, adapting a lot of Brewster's best practices for this purpose of being able to preserve for academic criticism and review 
all of the materials that are drawn upon to make academic articles. And so what about that small percentage of people who don't want to have their, their materials uh, saved in, in this archive? Is there any way to preserve that information? Well, again, uh, they may be able to signal that they would prefer not to have it available a quick a click away, mm -hmm. but just as it wouldn't stop a scholar who's researching that website from keeping a copy of that website on her own personal machine and being able to make it available later to fellow scholars who inquire. In research talk, that's material on file with author of the paper that is citing to the other stuff. We'll be able to simulate that basic transaction. So there may be some materials when you click through, it says, sorry, by request of the linked website, a copy of this is not available. Please click here. Uh, to make a request through your local library, scholar to scholar. I see. Now, you mentioned that there are policy hurdles to overcome with this. What what are they? Well, it's very ambitious to be placing oneself in the position of a guardian, a shepherd for that which is cited in research. So it means we have to be able to create something among the great libraries that works that works forever, that is actually inured to pressure to take down, that is of the censorship variety. And part of that will be through a mirroring process. So this isn't just the Harvard Law Library doing this. This will be libraries everywhere mirroring stuff so that if one library goes down because of a hurricane, because of a change in leadership, because the school goes bankrupt, all of the materials will still be mirrored among other participating libraries. And unless the entire academic enterprise, all of .edu and .ac.uk go down, this is a way of preserving it against the sands and vicissitudes of time. Well, Jonathan Zitrain, thank you so much for being on PolicyCast today. Thank you. You've been listening to PolicyCast, a production of Harvard Kennedy School. More information can be found at hkspolicycast.org.